Matthew chapter 5. I'll set the backdrop. Jesus has scampered up a mountain. He is with his disciples, and he is launching into arguably the most epic sermon ever recorded, certainly quite possibly ever given. And at the beginning of the sermon, he goes through what's known as the Beatitudes. And as we took a look last week, if you read through the Beatitudes real fast, you'll see that it doesn't allow for our pride and ego to get in the way of what he's about to call us into. And so this is not about being, hey, we're good at business. We're really awesome. You should be really awesome. God wants you to be awesome at at business. This is about the backdrop that Jesus says, this is about being meek. This is about being humble. This is about the poor in spirit, which means that you realize that you can do nothing apart from God, that we are dependent on God. But he sets that backdrop because he's about to call us into something. Verse 13, he says, you are, he doesn't say you can be. He says, you are the salt of the earth. As I said, he didn't say you can be if you're good at it or if we allow you to be, he said you are. So for us, the only question is whether or not you're being faithful to that. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And salt had two main purposes. One, it was a preservative. It would be sprinkled on food. This is pre-refrigeration. It was a preservative. So it slowed, if not stopped, decay. It held back decay in food. So Jesus is using this epic analogy. He says, you are salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? The other understanding in ancient times is that salary from the original language actually, or the word salt is what came to be salary because a portion of your wages for a Roman soldier went specifically allocated towards salt. And so it was part of an exchange because salt was so vital. So this was not just like a nice to have, like sprinkle it on my corn because I want it to really pop in flavor. This was, I need it so that I have food so my family doesn't die. And to the soldiers specifically, it was a, it was a form of, of, of currency for them. It was part of their salary to buy that salt to sustain their life and their family's life. So it was of vital importance. So this is a powerful analogy. It's not like, oh, so Jesus had a salt shaker. No, he was talking about the ability to preserve food in the first century. And he says, and if it loses its flavor, if it loses its potency, how shall it be seasoned? It says, it is then good for nothing. And he says, you are salt. These are harsh words. If you came for Kumbaya Jesus, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. He said, if you lose your potency in the culture, what will happen? He says, it's good for nothing. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And so if we're called to be sprinkled on the earth as Christians, to preserve the decay, to be part of the exchange in culture, he says, if you lose that potency, men will simply run right over you. And we've seen that, haven't we? They laugh when the church speaks. Why? Because we just blog. We don't vote. We don't, we don't go into these areas and speak the truth. We, we keep faith at home. We hide it under a bushel. No. We went over that last week. We sang. It was, you should have been here last week. It was hilarious. And so, and so he says, you'll just be trampled underfoot. Culture will trample you underfoot if it loses its potency and says, you are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before other Christians. No men, everyone, culture, that they may see your what? My doctrine, right? What does it say? Good works. That sounds like legalism. Sounds like Jesus was teaching. And he upended legalism. He says, that they may see your good works and do what? 
and glorify your Father in heaven. They say they will know God exists by watching you work. Big challenge. College students, big challenge. Doesn't get easier after college. I know you think it does. It doesn't. It gets tougher. And we know, we, we took a look at two things from, from light. One, it enables vision, doesn't it? So as salt, we're, we're preservative. We, we, we preserve the decay. We hold back decay in culture. And we exchange at this cultural level, we exchange our currency, which as we're going to present in this series is truth. And we talked about that last week. We hinge on truth. We tether out from truth. We never unhook from truth, but we go out from it and with it. And it says, you'll be a light when you hold it. And Jesus says, I will give my light to you so that others can see my father. And so we step out and light creates vision and it turns dark places into beautiful spaces. I told you, you go into a DTLA warehouse, because I've done this, scouting for photo shoots. Our guest speaker's certainly done some photo shoots. You go into some dark, decrepit warehouse at night, and you're peeing your pants. And then in the morning, the light comes through the broken glass, and it becomes photo shoot worthy, and it's Instagram. Why? Because that place was scary when it was dark, but when light shones, it becomes beautiful. And so when Christians go in to mountains of influence, they shine a light and dark spaces become beautiful places. And so this challenge is on us. It doesn't get easier as you search the scriptures. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of your pastor. No, it actually doesn't say that. Thank goodness. Only need one of these guys running around. Okay. It says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Okay, well, cool. Well, God doesn't own a business. So how are you going to do this? I'll show you. It says, be imitators of God. And so we're going to take a look at this cultural influence of business. As Pastor Rob said, I'm in the business world. I sit as director of marketing and digital commerce at a company in Calabasas. Our guest speaker tonight, we're going to do some Q&A. Entrepreneur, crazy background. It's not my CEO as we thought. My CEO is on a plane headed to China currently. And so, um, unable to make it, but I actually think it's going to, I do think it's going to be better. I love my CEO to death and I hope he doesn't watch the video, but I think it's going to be better. Okay. And I'll say this too. I just want to set this backdrop real fast. The Bible tells us that Jesus came preaching and teaching. Okay. Bible says that Jesus came preaching, teaching different words, different understandings. And so a lot of you, if you've been coming, you know that, that I, I love to preach, do I not? And there's a certain amount of preaching that will always take place when you're digging into God's word. But it says that Jesus also was a teacher. So what you're going to see tonight is going to be more formulaic. It's going to be more teaching than preaching because we're going to delve into this topic. I said, I'm going to try to do it in 40 minutes. And it was going to be nine concepts in business. I had to pull it back to seven But what we're going to attempt to do in the 34 minutes that I have remaining, the people that have heard me before are currently laughing. I've done intros for 34 minutes before, which is true, but relax. We're going to take a look at seven business concepts, okay? And so what happens is that there's a lot of misconceptions about business. Look, certainly in college, I graduated in 03, and there were certainly a bend against business, even back then. I I imagine it's ramping up now. I imagine with the presidency and his his business ties, it's going to continue to bend toward anti-business sentiment, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum. 
I want us to sit in the middle with what God says about concepts found in business. Here's what it's going to look like. We're going to talk about productivity. We're going to talk about ownership. We're going to talk about employment. We're going to talk about commercial transactions, aka buying and selling stuff. Money, as Rob set up. Profit. And inequality of possessions. Ooh. If you were going to mess with someone in America today, you tell them God's okay with inequality of possessions. And so we're going to go through those seven. If you were curious what the other two were going to be, it was going to be competition, also borrowing and lending. I've cut those. If you have questions about them, let me know afterwards. Um, But we're going to keep it to seven. The format is going to go somewhat like this. I'm going to introduce the concept, both the presupposition about it and the truth about it. So what you may have heard, it doesn't matter if you believe it, don't believe it, have heard it, haven't heard it, a general false presupposition, and we're going to declare the truth. I'm going to show you biblical support for it. And then I'm going to tell us how the gospel calls us out of temptation to use it for sin and into a contribution that glorifies God. Sound good? Sound fun? Anyone not think we can do it in 30 minutes? You can be honest. Okay, here we go. Number one is productivity. And this is going to be a machine gun thing. Don't take notes. If you want the notes, I'll just email them to you. Sound good? Eyes on me because we're about to go with this whole thing because I want to get to the Q&A, honestly. Okay, and so here it is. Here's the false presupposition, presupposition when it comes to productivity. Working and producing goods and services is at best the result of a fallen world and therefore a necessary evil. We work, why? Because there's sin in the world. The truth is this, that producing goods and services is fundamentally good and provides many opportunities to glorify God, but also temptations to sin. It's the balanced approach. Does that sound about right? Can be good, can be used for sin. Every single one of those, I'm gonna run you between those two things. Because we all know it can be used for sin. We all know that what the devil uses for bad, that God wants to use for good. What God desired for good, the devil wants to use for bad. And so we're going to get going on this machine gun exercise. Producing and or work is part of the reason that God put us on earth. Some of you didn't know that work was invented by God before sin. Everything was perfect and God told Adam to work. Same with marriage, pre-sin. Pre-sin. Therefore, it was perfect at one point. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. It was perfect. And God said, go to work. And in the beginning, God did what? Created. Could he have not just made everything exist like that? Could he have not have? Do we agree? What did he choose to do? systematically go through a six-day work week, work week and create. It's a work, six-day work week, by the way. Weekend is a fake thing. It's not in the Bible, okay? So you get, you get one day off. It's called a Sabbath, not a weekend. Okay, and so, um, so producing is part of God's purpose. He put them in the garden to tend and keep it. Genesis 1.28 says, Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue means bring forth potential from resources. Bring forth the potential of the resources that God has given. He created everything in raw material. We haven't created a single thing. We've simply assembled that which has already been created. Humans create nothing. Don't tell that to your artist friend, but they, we actually create nothing. We simply assemble what has happened. It has been created. Look at this sunset I created. You didn't create the sunset. You took a photo of it. Okay. We didn't 
create anything from raw material. We simply assembled that which had been created. It says, fill the earth and subdue it. Bring forth its potential. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are better than fish. Okay? We happy? Should lift your spirits. All right, here we go. And it says, after the fall, after sin entered the earth, some of you are going to get a, a key piece of info that I have told virtually no one in the world except my two business partners and my clothing company is that the founding verse of our clothing business, our little side hustle that we do on the side, is Genesis 3.21. Because of this, after the fall, sin enters the world, everything is fractured, our relationship with God is now an eternal conflict if it's not bridged by an external source after the fall, God preaches the gospel to him. It's known as the Protevangelium. He says, he basically, God comes down into the garden and says, where are you, Adam? You're hiding. I know where you are. And he says, look, I'm going to send a solution. The Protevangelium, the very first gospel. And the first piece of work that God did after preaching the gospel, the very first restorative act in human history, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. The first restorative act in a broken world that God saw fit to perform himself after preaching the gospel, saying the solution's gonna come, is he put clothes on them. And he covered them. Genesis 3, 2, 1. That's how I remember it, 3, 21. So after the fall, humans now have a need for goods and services. Unlike angels who have no need for goods and services, Unlike the animal kingdom, which cannot produce goods and services, we sit in tension between those two, needing goods and services above lower creation, below God. We sit in this tension, and humans can now experience a God-given desire to be productive, to make or do something useful for others. These desires cause us to exercise faithful stewardship so that we and others may enjoy the resources, resources from the earth that God made that are to be subdued by us and doled out in loving kindness to others. And so the gospel is going to call us out of our sin. We can be tempted to turn our hearts from God to focus on material things. For their own sake, rather than God's glory, the gospel calls us out of that. Some of you right now are in that relationship with your productivity, with your work, is that that is becoming your God rather than a way to glorify God. The gospel calls you out of that. We can be tempted to produce goods that bring monetary reward but are harmful and destructive and evil. The gospel calls us out of that to use our productivity for good, for human flourishing, for the glorification of God, not for the harm of others. And it calls us in business. And, and the vast majority of people in some way, shape, or form will be engaged in business. And for the purposes of this sermon, we will define business as the activity of making, buying, or selling goods, or providing services in exchange for money. And so it calls us out of doing that to harm people. Or as a God, it calls us into working to bring forth earth's potential, quote, as, the, as for the Lord and not to men, Colossians 3.23, by imitating God's attributes of wisdom and knowledge and skill and strength and creativity and sovereignty and by providing goods and services to others for human flourishing, the good works that will cause them to glorify your Father in heaven. Productivity is inherently good and some use it for bad, but the gospel calls us into that.
two, ownership. The false priest's opposition is that all ownership of property is a form of greed and therefore morally tainted. You see this in communist countries where the government ironically then gets to own everything that they say ownership is bad, but the government then gets to hold things and not allow private citizens to own things. The truth is that owning possessions is fundamentally good and provides many opportunities to glorify God, but also temptations to sin. Exodus 20, 15 says, you shall not steal. How can you steal something that isn't owned by someone else? It must be owned. If God says you cannot steal, it affirms the validity of personal ownership of possessions or else the commandment wouldn't make sense. It's not stealing if someone else doesn't own it and God protects their ownership of it. Ownership is one way that we reflect and imitate God's sovereignty over a tiny portion of the universe. Don't get big on yourself. Even if you're a trillionaire, it's about this cute. It's about this cute compared to God who holds the span of the universe like this, laughing. Like, come on. Now, he's, he doesn't laugh, but I think he laughs. Okay, so when we care for possessions, it gives us an opportunity to imitate to others the attributes of God and wisdom and knowledge and beauty and creativity, love for others, kindness and fairness, independence, freedom, exercise of will, joy, The gospel calls us out of this in a temptation to sin. We can be tempted to use our resources to advance our pride or to become greedy and accumulate wealth for its own sake. Some of you are struggling that now today in the Caneo Valley to accumulate for accumulation's sake while neglecting the needs of others. You can be tempted to use possessions foolishly or wastefully, abounding in luxury and self-indulgence rather than humility and in God-centered contentedness. The gospel calls us out of this temptation to use ownership as sin, but it calls us into glorifying God. And one way that we can glorify God with possessions is by, quite paradoxically, ironically, giving them away. Having them in the first place so that what? You can give them away. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not forget to do good and to share Remember when your mom was like, share. You're like, that's barbaric. That's biblical. Share. Eh. God says share. Any questions? Moving on. Okay. So he says, do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. People are like, I just wish I knew what pleased God. Give some stuff away. Okay. That's the answer. Okay. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all you produce. Oh, if only God gave away. Oh, shoot, then came Jesus. Then came his first fruits. And so God models it for us to this day. Acts twenty thirty five says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, God loves a cheerful hoarder. Giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And so the gospel calls us out of using ownership for sin and into using it to glorify God. Employment, false presupposition is that employing others and gaining profit from someone else's work is evil. It's the foundation of Marxist theory. It's exploiting rather than glorifying. The truth is that hiring people to do work is fundamentally good, provides opportunities to glorify God, but also temptations to sin. As Pastor Rob demonstrated, Jesus in Luke 10, 7 said the laborer deserves his wages. It assumes employment, employee. John the Baptist said to soldiers, be content with your wages. 
in Luke 3.14. It's okay to have and to pay employees for their work, and it's okay to be an employee and receive pay for your work. This should go unannounced, obviously, but we do amazing things in American culture and college classrooms and in the workplace and the things that we debate. The gospel calls us out of the temptation to use employment for sin. Employees can be lazy, undermining, unsubmission, unsubmissive to established and moral leadership. I, I rail on this a lot. Some of you are just lazy. The Bible says knock it off. Like, that's harsh. It's true though. Stop. They must see your good works. Why? So they can glorify your father in heaven. Bible doesn't allow for it. On the same token, employers can be harsh, unfair, oppressive, exercise authority selfishly. They can underpay workers. They can keep wages low so that employees have no opportunity to improve their standard of living. God has harsh judgment for you. If you're that kind of employer, James 5, 4 says, indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you have kept back by fraud, God calls it fraud, cry out and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Employers, God sees Employers, God sees. Gospel calls us out of this temptation to use it for sin. Calls us into glorifying God as employers. When we are fair and honest and trustworthy and caring and look out for our employees, we glorify a father who is fair and honest and trustworthy and cares and looks out for us. As employees, when we are diligent and hardworking and honest and trustworthy and creative and respectful of authority, we reflect a God it was diligent and hardworking and honest and trustworthy and creative and respectful of authority. Mind you that Jesus came to earth as God and didn't say, I am God, I am here, I need not work. Why do we have no record of anything from him from childhood till he was 30? Because he just went to work every day, helping his dad run a business. You've heard me say this. How many times maybe the Pharisees walked by in their man dresses floating? They walked by that poor peasant kid working on the patio, like poor people, and it was God. Working for 18 years. Worked. In the beginning, he created. Jesus, Colossians 1.17 says, Jesus did all the creating. It's no surprise he came as a carpenter and sweat in the Middle Eastern sun and helped his dad run a business. Some of you haven't thought about Jesus that way. You start with him at age 30. You never ask, what was he doing since 12? Getting up and grabbing a lunch and having breakfast and going to work. Cracking rocks with that. And so we reflect that diligent, hardworking, honest, trustworthy, respectful of authority. God, the gospel calls us into that in terms of employment. Number four, commercial transactions, a.k.a. buying and selling stuff. Certainly, there's no biblical precept for that. The false presupposition is that buying and selling goods and services is at best a necessary evil. Because we live in a fallen world where we just need stuff, therefore it's part of the necessary evil of a fallen world. As Rob demonstrated, the truth is that buying and selling goods is fundamentally good, provides many opportunities to glorify God, but also many temptations to sin. Leviticus 29.14 says, And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not wrong one another. The Bible went so deep as to set up a framework for buying and selling. Both the buyer and the seller can do right in that transaction. That's how wealth is created. If you don't believe me, you can see Genesis 41, 57, Leviticus 19, 35 to 36, Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16, Proverbs 11, 26, 31, 16, Jeremiah 32, 25, 42, also through 44. If you just had any questions about that, consult your Bible. 
Buying and selling are necessary for anything above subsistence level living, which distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. Subsistence means you are only subject to that which you can provide for yourself. I can build a website, but I could not build a chair to save my life. My house would be floors. And to be honest, I'd have to do a backroom deal with James to even get floors because I can't do that. Subsistence living, apart from being able to buy and trade and for other people to be able to specialize in something, allows us to raise our standard of living. A family could only live on what it could produce, clothes, food, rather than buying and selling, which allows for specialization and increases the standard of living. Gospel calls us out of the temptation to sin. We're tempted to cheat, steal, produce shoddy products to make our margins. The gospel calls us into the business of glorifying God and deploying our skills and our creativity to the benefit of others so that wealth is created, standard of living has been raised, and humans flourish as good works so they may see our Father. Money, Rob hit on this. We're going to machine gun through it. The false presupposition is that money is the root of all false. The truth is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10, no joke, I had a friend in high school. Her mom put that as a poster on her door. Money is the root of all evil. Walked in, I'm like, eh, that's not Bible. The love of money, the Bible declares. Yes, but not money. Money is but a tool. It's but a representation of a contribution. It's another human invention that sets us up apart from lower creation. Okay, still better than fish. Okay, still working on that. Money is the one thing that everybody is willing to trade for goods because it is the one thing that everyone else will be willing to trade for goods. Make sense? It's the one thing you can, I can give to Pastor Brett that he can give to someone else knowing that the value stays equal, that he, I can get a bunch of things from him and that he can get totally different things from other people. It opens up our ability to navigate cultural waters. If you only have one kind of good, people may not want it or won't need it after you've traded with them once. I run a clothing business. The person you're gonna hear from tonight also has a side business that does clothing. If all I did was make t-shirts and there's 400 people in my town and I get them one t-shirt and they just need one t-shirt because they can wash it, I'm out of business 400 transactions later. That's it. What do I do? I need food. I go to, the, I go to get the loaf. Here's a t-shirt. Can I have bread? He's like, I already got a t-shirt, but I need that bread, but I don't need another shirt. It allows us to diversify. It enables us to assign value to goods and services. Money is simply a tool for our use. It's a, it's a sign of an exchange and a contribution. It makes voluntary exchanges more fair, less wasteful, and far more extensive. It can't be evil or God would have nothing to do with it. And Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, says the Lord, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. He would have nothing to do with it if it was inherently evil. So the gospel calls us out of temptation to use money for sin. It's very powerful, which makes it come with a heavy responsibility. Many people become ensnared to a love of money and turn their hearts away from God. Jesus said, quote, you cannot serve God and money, Matthew 6, 24. But I'll tell you this, you can serve God with your money. 
we are warned against accumulating too much so that we hoard it and don't use it for good. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when you give that contribution to glorify your Father, you're storing up a treasure in heaven rather than accumulating a bank account. So it calls us out of this temptation to sin. It calls us into the business of glorifying God and enables us to invest and expand our stewardship, thus imitating God's sovereignty and his wisdom in our own little way. It enables us to meet our own needs, thus imitating God's independence. It enables us to give to others, thus imitating God's mercy and love toward others. It enables us to give to the church and to evangelism, thus bringing others into the kingdom. The gospel calls us out of the love of money calls us out of the service of money, but into the service of God with our money. Number six, prophet. Some of you did not think I could do this. I'm gonna have time left over to just riff it for a while. Before I'm not, we're gonna get to Q&A. Maybe we'll do a half hour, it'll be epic. I don't wanna look that way because y'all are gonna start looking that way now. No one's gonna pay attention to me. He's over there. Where is he? Number six, prophet. Oh no, there's no way the Bible says prophet's cool. There's no way. It's exploitation. It's nonsense. Get what you need to live and move on. That's clearly what Jesus the socialist said. The false presupposition is that producing goods and services and selling them for more than it cost is the production or the produce of evil. The truth is that earning a profit is fundamentally good and provides many opportunities to glorify God, but also many temptations to sin. Profit is essentially selling a product. We went over this with Rob. I had it in my notes just in case. Profit is essentially selling a product for more than it costs to producing it. If I produce 100 loaves of bread for $100, sell it for $200, I've made $100 profit, yes? Now what I've also done is what cost me $1 to produce, I now understand is worth two to my community. And it shows that my work has added value to the materials used. I run a very simple clothing company right now. T-shirts and some other American-made goods. I buy a blank wholesale T-shirt. I have a designer that comes up with the design. We do a couple strokes of ink, and then we sell it for four times what it costs to make. How can we do that? Because we've added value to that shirt. My designer, by the grace of God who loves Jesus, has added value to that t-shirt. The way that we market, the fact that we're American made only and that we market that has, gives us an edge. We have to charge more, but we have to fight more for customers. We've added value to that t-shirt above and beyond the blank and the ink. Sell it into the moto culture with a cool design that they get to tell their friends they like motorcycles. We've added value to that product above and beyond what it costs to make it. In Luke 19, the parable of the minas, Jesus is telling a nobleman, he tells of this nobleman calling 10 of his servants and giving them each one mina each, which is about three months wages, okay? That used to be the number for like buying an engagement ring for the guys. So you remember that? Like three months, that's what are the girls jacked it up now to? Like six or 10, like eight years? Finance, what was it now? It's like 400 months or something like that. And so... Three months, think of an engagement ring. Ladies, like, I'm on board. Tell me what happened. Okay, I get it. About three months' wages, he gives them that. He told them to do business until I come. Luke 19, 13. Do business until I come. Jesus is telling this parable. One servant earned 1,000% profit. 
I was at a skincare company. I'm telling you, ladies, we, we fill that little jar for about 40 cents. You all pay 80 bucks. Okay? I'm telling you, it's crazy. The thousands of percent. You're like, that's absurd. Jesus is telling a parable where the man comes back with a 1,000% profit and was rewarded greatly. Well and done, good servant. Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, you now have authority over 10 cities. Another came back, earned 500% profit. He said, you also will be over five cities. And he didn't give him 10. He gave him five. Starting to see some degrees, aren't you? The servant who made no profit was rebuked. The mina was given to the servant who made a thousand percent profit. He comes back. He's like, look, I kept it. He's like, give it to that guy. At least he can do something with it. Now, in the parable, Jesus is the nobleman who goes off to a far land and comes back with a kingdom inheritance and he is able to give them the growth. So don't get me wrong. The nobleman represents Jesus who received a kingdom and returned to reward his servants. But the obvious applications to stewardship of spiritual gifts and ministries, Jesus entrusts to us and it must imply goods and services as well. It cannot exclude the expanding and the multiplying of whatever talents and resources God has entrusted to us. It cannot exclude money and material possessions as God has given us those as well. You go on to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. He makes a similar point, but with even greater amounts of money. It was essentially about 20 years worth of wages that went on the line. Similar assumption is behind the approval given to the ideal wife in Proverbs 31. Have you heard the Proverbs 31 woman? There's actually an interesting chunk, verses 16 through 20, that talks about this. It says, she considers a field and buys it. My wife has yet to buy a field, but I'm waiting, okay? And so she considers a field and buys it. She's also here. She's rarely here. That's why I'm super nervous. It has nothing to do with y'all, okay? So, and so she considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She hit the gym every once in a while. And she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. It didn't end with profit. She extends her hands to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. See, the gospel calls us out of this temptation to simply use this for sin. We're tempted to use disparity and power and knowledge to take advantage of people. The gospel calls us out of that. We're tempted to create monopolies on necessary goods in order to charge excessive prices that deplete people's abilities to raise their standard of living. It calls us out of that in, retar- in, in, in regard to profit and it calls us into the business of glorifying God with our profit. We're called to steward our resources well and multiply so that we would have increased ability to extend our hand. Finally, the inequality of possessions. False presupposition is that some people having more than others is simply wrong. That some people having more is simply wrong. The truth is that some inequality of possessions is fundamentally good. You notice it's different. Some inequality of possessions is fundamentally good and provides many opportunities to glorify God, but also many temptations to sin and, and some extreme inequalities are in fact wrong in and of themselves. 
So admittedly, you may be surprised to think that some inequality of possessions can be good and pleasing to God. It doesn't sing well on college campuses. It doesn't even sing well in the workplace. The Bible teaches us that there are varying degrees of reward in heaven and how dare we believe there wouldn't be varying degrees of reward on earth. Do you know that we get different amount of reward in heaven? Did you know that? It's not a socialist utopia. Now there's no sin. There's no greed. There's no envy. There's no strife. There's none of that. There's, there's no poverty. I can't wait for that day. But we won't be up there measuring sticks. I can tell you that. Think back to the parable of the Minas. To one person, Jesus will say, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And to another, Jesus will say, you shall have authority over five cities. We'll work in heaven. I don't know if you know this. Some people think heaven is like the ultimate retirement plan. Now, our bodies won't be broken. It's not going to hurt. We're not going to have sin and greed. But we're going to work and glorify Jesus for all of eternity. We get to go to work as work was originally intended pre-sin. See how that works? It's amazing. It's like the whole Bible is one story. And so we get to work again in perfection, just as Adam was called to work in perfection, praising, serving Jesus with different varying degrees of areas that we're called to steward. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, this is Paul speaking, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. It sounds like legalism. It sounds like Bible. It's not. I'm not saying you'll get in based on what you do. He's saying when you get in, we're going to assign some roles. Sounds like a well-run city, does it not? Millennials are like, no, no titles, no jobs. Like everyone's everyone's boss. It doesn't work. They've tried. Okay. One boss in heaven, but we all have different roles. Yeah. He says, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, there's varying degrees of hell. Inequalities are necessary in a world that requires a great variety of tasks to be done. I love using this example when I talk to friends. They talk about Walmart or some greedy corporation. Do they have issues? Sure. Right? Probably. I ask them why didn't Hillary fix it when she was on the board, but they forget about that. And so, um, bad, bad timing, Mark. You had them. But check this out. But, but you, take a look at, you take a look at CEO. It's, it's, he makes more in four minutes than the cashier makes in an entire day. And I said, in the decisions he makes in those four minutes are huge. We're not belittling the cashier, but I don't think any cashier wants to make a decision based on the investment plan of the entirety of the breadth of the Walmart portfolio on any given Tuesday. Take the merchandise, scan it, get a good job, get paid, progress, work up the way. The decisions that the CEO makes are so gravitous. There is such gravity. And by the way, not many jobs after that if you get fired from it. So does he, he deserves by all account that much money because the decisions he makes are that much bigger than the cashier. I've worked in a warehouse. I know it. I used to just cut carpet for a living. I wasn't making the decisions the CEO was. Still, I'm a director. I'm baffled. I'm like the decisions this guy makes. And my CEO is amazing. He says, we make decisions based on supporting and caring for the families of this company. Always, he says, I want you, Mark. Some of you are gonna, it's gonna be weird. He's a Christian guy. He says, I want you to make more every year with me for your family. But the decisions he makes, I'm not even close to that. I run the, like, Instagrams, right? Like, oh, your caption's weird. Nothing imploded. 
He's running the entire strategy of our multi-million dollar international business. Yeah, and, and here's, if, if you don't like that one, not only a variety of tasks, but a variety of industries. I love going to concerts. Anyone else? Anyone here like that a concert ticket is cheaper than an airline ticket? Should it not be a lot less than an airline ticket? Different industry, like music, cool, couple hours, dug it, metal, sound bad. Like I know people get freaked out. But then I step into a plane to go fly across the country. There's a lot more value right on that ticket. I'm glad homie in a cockpit gets paid way more than that band. Super pumped on that. Anyone else? You seen him? You don't even want a pilot without gray hair. You're like, he looks too young. Can he fly this thing? I saw Sully. They all need to be old. Right? Jesus is concerned with your faithfulness amid inequality. He saw the poor widow put in penny in the offering. So he called his disciples to him and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put more in than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty and put in all she had, her whole livelihood. Mark 12, 43 44. James 2, 5 says, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? The Bible exhorts us that those who have a large resource are to be content in God and to trust in him, not in their riches. Paul tells us that they will face greater temptations. I drive through Malibu and I'm not envious. A burden for those folks. Jesus himself said, you want to know what's funny? And he told a joke. He said, you want to know what's funny? A rich dude trying to get into heaven. He goes, that's a joke. He says, you know how hard it's going to be? Why? Because they can't be saved? No, of course not. Because their heart's pulling them somewhere else. James in James 5 tells us that rich oppressors will be judged harshly. The gospel calls us into this temptation to use inequality of possessions for sin. It calls us out, those who have been given much and are tempted to be proud and selfish and think highly of themselves and to trust themselves instead of God. Those who have been given less are tempted to be covetousness, tempted into covetousness and jealousy and not to trust the position that God has given them. So the gospel calls us out of a sinful mentality, but it calls us into the business of glorifying God, even amidst inequality of possessions. Those who have given despite having little are seen by God. Those of you that have little and you give, God sees and God honors that. And he honors you for your sacrifice. And to those who have been given much, they are called by God to imitate God's generous giving to the church and to those who have less. less. If you want more on that, Luke 12, 48, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, 14, 12, 1 Tim 6, 17 through 19. And let us never forget that Christians are called throughout the Bible to help the poor and the weak to overcome their poverty. Why? Because as Jesus began the Beatitudes, it said those who are poor in spirit as he comes to those who are poor and humble and says, I will give you all the inheritance of heaven. Just as Jesus comes to the poor in spirit, we go out to the poor in spirit and in possessions and say, we come with a greater message of a world beyond this. And we love and we care and we try to help any way we can. Why? Not so that they see us, but so that they see the good works and glorify our father in heaven. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Mikey Taylor, huh? Most of you have never met a man with 522,000 followers on Instagram. You're about to meet one right now. Mikey Taylor. Um, As I kind of prefaced a little bit, um, 
The cool thing about this happening this morning, really, last night when I told the guys, hey, CEO can't make it, and came up with the idea because I saw you sitting right there last week. I was like, do you think Mikey would do it? And then they came back, definitely. The cool thing is, is that we, we go to church together. Mikey goes here. I really actually don't even know much. I know little bits and pieces. So um, you're going to see me genuinely learning about Mikey, even though we've crossed you know, paths, like I said. Um, the other thing that we have is that I've got some questions um, to get going. And we're, we're joking. Like we could probably go till like midnight tomorrow if we, he and I wanted to just based on business and, you know, us debating whose clothing line is better. And then, um, but, um, I've got some questions to get things going, but if you've got some questions, if you could send a text to that number, um, we might not be able to get to all of them, but I'm going to start. And then you guys can text in questions. It's one of the times you get to use your, your phone in church. Is this another coolest church on the planet? Like, okay. And so I do have some questions to get us started. We're you know, 20, 30 hours of Q&A, and then we'll be fine. So 20 minutes, and uh, we'll get going. Sound good? All right, so um, is it cool if I call you Mikey? You go by Mikey, right? It uh, depends who you are. My mom calls me Michael. My wife calls me Mike. Everyone else calls me Mikey. I'm going to go with Mikey. I'm going to go with Mikey. <laughs> At Mikey Taylor on Instagram, by the way. We'll get you four more followers. And so... Um, like I said, we were going to do just, I'm curious, take us back to the earliest days, you know, like it was, it was skating, basically kind of when you went professional, when your skating became a biz in one way, shape or form, and just skip us all the way to now as, as fast as you want to. Okay. So, uh, I started skating like every other kid. My, I saw my friend with one and just loved it. And I remember, you know, I started getting older, 16, 17, and you know, my mom really it was like the time for me to get a job and grow up, right? <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to stop skating. I was just like, it, I was that passionate about it that I didn't really want to make a career out of it. I just didn't want to stop. So I like, I had some friends that got sponsored, so you get free stuff. And I told my mom, I was like, well, what if I get sponsored and I get free clothes? Like, can I not get a job? You know? And she was like, oh, okay. And I don't think she thought I could get one. I didn't know if I could get one at that time. Um, so I made a video of myself and sent it out to you know, 30 different companies, and uh, I didn't get a call back. So I was like, okay, I'll try one more time. So I filmed a whole new video and sent it out to about 30 more, and one, one company called me back, and that was my first sponsor. And so that that gave me about another year of skating and not having to get a job. And, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, you know, and then it was like, okay, uh, you need to get a job, and you need to get ready to go to college, right? And I was like, well, what if I get paid to do this? You know, and she was like... Um, yeah, okay. Like, see if you can get paid, and we'll see. Ended up, I convinced a sponsor to pay me, like, 300 bucks a month, right? And uh, sh- they weren't that st- my, my parents weren't that stoked. My parents were right here. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I was like, I was like okay, I'm good. And, and my mom, I remember I came into my room one day, and she was like, look, why don't we just pray about it? And let's just pray that if this is what God wants you to do, he opens all the doors. And if he doesn't, then at least you know and you move on, right? And at that time, skating was so small, it was like there were no careers to be made out right. of skating, right? <clears throat> and I'm a parent now, so now I know what it was like for her to go through that. And then it was like, it just, everything kind of happened for me. Where it was like, you know, I was making 300 bucks a month, and then I started getting all these sponsors, I started getting magazines, videos, uh, and then as skating kind of became bigger, I, I was like a kid, and kind of my career started growing as the the industry grew, hmm. um, and then it turned into like a really big thing. Yeah, you know, 
Um, and then through that process, I, I got I, 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 in skating. The big thing you get is a is a pro shoe. You get a signature shoe that you design, and it, it it's like a, the big deal, right? And I got my first shoe, and that was when I kind of first got introduced to the business side. You know, for me, it was just like, oh yeah, I just do tricks, and mm-hmm. they, you know, make a video and make me look a certain way. But when I started designing a shoe, then it was like, okay, it, it had to perform, right? And, you know, I had to go from like, this is, you know, how much we're going to sell it for. This is what you're going to make. This is the, the, the whole, you know. And I, I was really, I really liked it. I really liked knowing that side and kind of, you know, seeing what me doing on a skateboard, how that translated into sales for my sponsor, you know. So, so that was in about 2005. 2008 I got an opportunity to it was a new sponsor they wanted me to come in with some guys and kind of turn the team around it, it, they just didn't have a, a very good image at that time so I came in and we started putting new people on the team and you know I was kind of more involved on uh, on the brand image without even having a position I was still just a s- skater on the team you know and I, I, I remember like you know fighting with the guys that were running it because they wanted it to go in a different direction and, and I was like it shouldn't go in that direction. It should go in this one, you know. And, and I think that's when I realized that I, although I enjoy sponsors, I, I want more than that. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of wanted to, you know, do something where it was my vision of it and kind of, you know, yeah, not have to argue with people on if it's right or wrong. It was just let's just do it. And, and this is what we talked about. This is where you were transitioning from quote just a skater into a businessman, that's right? That's when it started. Yeah, and that's when it started. Then. Uh, about maybe three years after that, I started my first company, which was a craft brewery in San Diego. It's called St. Archer. Mm-hmm. And I co-founded that with uh, two of my good friends. And that was the first... And I, I, I graduated high school. That was it. I didn't right. go to college. I, I started skateboarding right away. So I basically paid for a degree by starting this company. I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot. We made a lot of mistakes through it, but... Uh, that was a. That was. I mean, that was. A, so with Saint Archer, we ended up selling the company about a year ago. So I went through the, you know, from idea to completion in yeah. a sense. And then from that point, uh, about now, I I own about five companies. Oh. So yeah, it's, it's it's going from the kid, you know, making three hundred bucks a month trying to convince my own to favorites. Well, now it's it's a big change. Uh, but yeah, more or less. Uh, yeah. So give give us an idea. Um, Give us an idea of kind of what your normal week looks like now. You said five companies. Okay, so, so for me, with St. Archer, it was like, so I'm, st- I, I, uh, now it's like starting to kind of transition, but at that point, it was about five, five years ago, I could only allocate a certain amount of time outside of skateboarding. Skateboarding takes up so much of my day, right? So it was kind of this like 70-30 split, you know? So... So I was basically involved from starting the company, raising money, uh, up until operations. And then it was, you know, me and my partner, my partner ran it, and then we kind of put together the team. And I was more involved on uh, kind of vision and long-term. But as far as daily operations, I was still a skateboarder. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of, I've always done this split where once that was, opera- once that was operating, do another one. And kind of structure it the same way. It was like kind of create it, put the team together go and then kind of you know and then now it's just there's, there's it's just like it was 70 30 and then it was kind of 60 40 and now it's just kind of 
you know, so it's kind of yeah. Right now it's kind of uh, I'm just he's on the time of the day, for, right? You know, all of it. But uh, I'm also you know that's just kind of how it goes. So that's Sweet. that's how it's been up until now. Where I'm, you know, now I have a position at one of the companies, and I'm also skateboarding. But it's it's just you know slowly transitioning, right? And and if if some people I don't I don't want to assume if some people don't know selling a business is actually like one of the heights of success in business. Like we we started a division at my company a year ago, and our CEO sat down the director and above team and said we sell this thing in five years. That's goal. And so like it's very natural in business to want to build something with a on a trajectory and then allow people to come in and steward it beyond that. So selling isn't a sign of regardless of you know some of the intricacies, it's it's actually like hitting a grand slam. It's not like, oh man, we whole thing tanked, like we just sell it and get out of here. Like selling is a very big and good thing in business. So um love this question. Um when did you come to know Jesus? Oh, I was uh man, how old was I? I was maybe or 11 um, I had a friend in my neighborhood I remember when I was young we didn't grow up I, I grew up Christian but my parents came to when I was born we weren't Christian mm-hmm. they, they came to the Lord around the same time I did actually and I just had a friend who invited me to uh, Hume Lake oh, yeah. to camp yep. and uh, I I, came, I accepted Christ as my savior there and, uh, and it was like right around the time my parents did and then our family kind of you know together yeah oh cool and i remember when i was young i grew up in a jewish neighborhood mm. but it was kind of split and i remember asking my mom like why do we celebrate christmas agora 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, i saw the video i'm not smart <laughs> christmas and, and not hanukkah oh interesting yeah, yeah and, and I, I don't i don't remember the reason, reason but it, it had nothing to do with jesus right you know, it was just like we just celebrate christmas you know Cool. Here's another one. So, how do you introduce your faith to fellow skaters, colleagues, workers? Basically, how do you talk about Jesus in an average workday? So, for so so my industry is not. I mean, if you guys don't know about the industry, it's not. Uh, it it can be really trying, or it's oh man, it's just wild at times. You know? <laughs> so for me, it was always like I I just try to be this, uh, just like kind of lead by example and be kind of this, you know. A, just I'm just different and I wanted that to come off whether it was like the videos I were in or, or the way people saw me so that you know they could kind of tell something was different mm-hmm. and then it made it real easy to have that conversation with them you know because a lot of people ask like why are you like why are you so nice or why are you you know so right. that kind of it, it just makes the conversation easier because for me it's like it's really hard for me to uh, start a conversation with somebody right. and bring it into right God or you know be that be, be that awkward Christian guy. Right. So that I think is my way of making it a little easier. Yeah. And, and we've talked about that on Sunday nights. You know, Pastor, it's a term that Pastor Rob. Oh, make sure make sure the mic's up. Yeah, so. You can't hear me. Yeah. So, um, and a, a term that I learned from Pastor Rob is is one of the most profound ministries that every Christian has, whether they like it or not, is known as a ministry of observation. And people are simply watching you. And if you declare something to be true, they know they're watching. And that's what you're talking about is that they just, they just notice that you navigate things differently or things don't freak you out. Like maybe they freak out folks that don't have a faith or tethered to truth, that sort of thing. And so that ministry of observation is obviously really um, key. And I know we wanted to hit on this too, or I, I certainly did. Um, speaking of kind of some of the friends and the way that you're networking, talk about how, I don't know if I'm going to position it right, that you, you're helping with some of the financial planning of some of the the skaters in, in the community and if- so, yeah so this kind of when we did when we did St. Archer um, 
kind of the thing I wanted when we raised money. Uh, the ambassadors that we had were who we started with for for capital. And my whole thing was like, I know skaters aren't they don't think past skating, right? right. It's like you kind of pretend that it's going to end, right? And a lot of them just kind of spend money and. And for me, I was like, I wanted them to be involved with St. Archer, even though it was a lot of risk because it could have not worked out right. this way. But I wanted to, to do something to help their future and kind of start giving them, you know, a little cushion to figure it out or even start thinking about it in that way. And so kind of once that that happened and, and then it ended up working out, I still started noticing that a lot of these guys, uh, they just, they're, they're not thinking about what's after. And it's like a lot of them don't have the skill set to do it. Right. You know, it's like it doesn't – a lot of these kids don't graduate high school. They're from, you know, poverty, and it's just they're good at skateboarding, and then they make a ton of money. You know, but it, they don't have the, the skills to kind of know how to save money, whatever it is. Hmm. So <clears throat> I uh, I was lucky enough to – my parents were just kind of – I watched how my dad was with money, and then when I started making money, they put me with a good uh, financial manager. So then I was like, you know what, I want to do something for these guys. So and I'm close to my financial manager. I was like, why don't we just do a company and let's start in skating and let's just all start bringing these guys over to you. And, you know, I want you to start just managing their portfolios and we'll just kind of build something for these guys so that they can kind of be okay afterwards or Sweet. at least the transition's easier. So we're, we're in the middle of putting that together now. Wow. Yeah. So that, again, that connects. You see how an employer that has a heart to care for people above and beyond even you know, immediate gratification, how that can persevere culture and that people can be affected by that. You're not up there being like, all right, who's a Christian? Cause you can get in. It's like, let's, let's care for folks, you know? And that's, that's really what, you know, starts that ministry. Uh, some, this is awesome. Like a couple are coming in. Um, maybe we could just do some rapid fire. Do you have a college degree? You said, no, no. <clears throat> um, how much does that, how much does that matter to your success or failures? Um, Well, for you, maybe not, but yeah, in general, depends on the person. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're spending the way one way. You're spending the money one way or another. Mm-hmm. I would have spent it in a degree, or I would have spent it starting these companies, right? Good point. So I, I just learned it differently. I learned it from experience. But I was in a position that, you know, because of who I was, I already had access to uh, marketing through my channels. I, I was friends with all the other athletes. It, I kind of had a, a, a little advantage mm-hmm. over maybe a kid straight out of high school going, right. I want to start a company. Right. But the positive of that is nowadays you can be in high school and sit in your room and create a logo, trademark it, start the company, market it all from your room. Crowdfund it. Yep. Right? You could do everything <clears throat> yourself now. So, and, and you can learn. It's just the whole – the way we learn and, and consume yeah. information is changing. So, you know – uh, I, I think seeing people with not college, not saying don't go to college, but I yeah. think you're going to start seeing a lot of people with less degree and being able right. to kind of succeed in the space. It might happen, might not, but that's what I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a balance, too. I mean, you, you, you say, oh, I got a college degree, but now I got $100,000 of debt, too. And, you know, so then you get, you get right into that sort of stuff. Or, and, and like I've said, I said today, you know, I tell people today is the easiest day to be a businessman because, like you said, free marketing platforms, social media, you can incorporate for 800 bucks. It used to cost three grand, and you need a lawyer, and no one even knows how to find a lawyer anymore. Okay, and so, like, to, to start things, to logo things, to trademark, I just went through the trademark process all online. I submitted one thing, you know, like, huh, done. You know, so it's never been easier, and you you don't have the debt, but as Rob said, there's risk in that. 
but there's also, you know, that reward. Um, I just wanted to tell you, I'm really proud of you. Love mom and dad. And so, <laughs> you see how I swiped your, <laughs> um, how, how are you intentional about living out your faith, um, through your, through your position as a business owner? Um, so with me for when we did the brewery, um, three guys, one was a Christian and one wasn't. Um, and, and I, you know, when I started with him, it was, it was, I was always drawn to him because he had, he had really good morals, but for no reason, mm. you know, he just was like a really good guy. Right. I remember always thinking it was so interesting. Like, why does he have good morals and not, and there's no, there's nothing behind, I, you know, I don't know. I was like, yeah. I just thought it was weird. And, but I saw that as an opportunity to, uh, kind of hopefully minister to him. And, and it's funny. It was like, uh, I think it was Rob talking about your five today. Yeah. You know, and for him, it's, we're so close. It was right. like, I, I really related to him saying that we're so close with, with, with him and, and his faith. And it's like the good things he asked so many questions about it, but you know, going into business with someone else, it can be tough, especially yeah. if they're not, uh, if you guys don't share the same faith. Mm-hmm. Luckily for me, I, especially with St. Archer, I didn't really get in, put in any positions with him where it was like a, a I didn't, it, that didn't line up with my beliefs or it, it, it kind of wasn't an either or no, luckily <laughs> enough, there were a couple things that happened and, uh, you know, I just kind of said what I said and he was like, what? Yeah. Cool. I respect that. And did you find that his, his, his morals though, we wouldn't say had a faith backdrop. You were able to find kind of commonality with them and say, yeah, like, man, we do believe this sort of stuff. I believe it for this reason, even yeah, though you know what? With him, it's like, we we're so close also. And he, you know, he knows exactly what I believe in. I mean, we, we talked about it at length, so yeah, yeah. it wasn't, he understood, Yeah, you know, and I think like he's, you know, in this place of like wanting to, you know, find it for himself. So I think it was like he, it just, luckily it, it didn't, yeah. you know, it could have right. gone a different way, but it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got how many people work within your company? What are some of the positions? Internships, question mark? So... That was for me, actually. <laughs> so with, with St. Archer, we had about 65 employees before we sold. Um, when we sold it, we did uh, we do a coconut water now called Villager. Yeah. And that's been in market for about two months, brand new. And we have about six employees there. Um, and then I do a little... We have, we have a little competing clothing brand. Yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're we competitors. Four, it's fine. We have four employees and, a, uh, and an intern. Um, <laughs> we have none, whatever. <laughs> um, so, uh, Which is called Sovereign, S-O-V-R-N yeah. dot L-A. Dot L-A. Love, yeah. love the dot L-A. Yeah. Sweet. So yeah, Sovereign, so, I looked it up today too. It's, yeah. very, it's very you. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's, yeah. it's sovereign's loose. It, and, sovereign's like a, a fun project for us. Yeah. It's like, it's small and we can be creative and yeah. uh, and it's a direct to consumer brand. It's the first time we haven't done wholesale or sold the stores, so right. it's been a big learning curve going down that path. Also, yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, has skating peaked? If not, how high can it go? Would it be an Olympic sport? Question mark. Is that a goal of yours? Question mark. Um, Was Tony Hawk the peak? Are we still going? Or uh, it's, uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, because, you know, skateboarding, the actual skateboarding industry is a lot smaller than what it influences, mm. right? And there's a lot of, like, when, when I was a kid, you, 
I could tell who skated and who didn't just by how they looked. But yeah. Now you can't tell. It's true. You know, so it's like hipsters. Dang it. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, well, skateboarding will be in the Olympics 2020. Like vert or half bike? No, wait, or? when's the next? When's the next one? Is it so it'd, be su- it'd be summer, right? 2020. So, yeah, so skating will be in the Olympics 2020. Half pipe or vert or street skating actually. Street. Yeah. Wow. Um, I will not be in the Olympics. I actually don't like competitions. Really? Yeah, I'm super competitive, but I don't. Something I never liked competitions with skating. I, I think with me for skating, I was drawn to it because it was it was just myself, and it was like a battle between myself. So it's it's competition within the tricks and what you can do exactly. and progressing rather exactly. than other people. Yeah, and I, I think that's why. I fell in love with it, and mm. then the competition was just—it didn't line up with why I enjoyed it. But I am super competitive, which makes no sense. But <laughs> what's the biggest thing you've learned spiritually on your journey? Uh, um, well, I think for me, you know, I was so young getting into the industry of seven, seventeen, eighteen, going into it, and you know, just growing up, and you know, kind of just being insecure and seeing what was around me, and you know, it, it took me a point of just feeling comfortable with myself, what I believe. It, it just, you know, if, if I look at my career, it wasn't, even though it all, it went like this, there were, there were rough patches in it sure. for me. And, you know, I, I remember there was, there, it was like one night and, and I like just kind of looked at what was going on with my life and I just didn't like it. It was like, it, it, it just like, I, I just didn't like who I was. And I remember that night I was like, I went. I was out of town and went to the hotel and just like, just prayed and just like told God, I'm sorry and I know I'm here for you and I don't like, I don't like how I'm portraying mm. you. And from that point on, I was about 26. Uh, it, I mean, it's been like it's been like having, it's been like two different people in the same career mm. in a sense. So I think for me it was just, and I think it was like growing up, but I think just knowing that you need to be comfortable and confident about yourself what you believe in even if other people don't yeah you know you kind of have to be strong and uh you know that's why we're here and i think for me i always knew this is i was doing this because the the lord wanted me here Mm. but there were times where i was like okay well what am i really doing here for you then right you know and i think kind of getting to that point i was like okay this is why i'm here and this is what i should be doing uh and I don't know if that's even an answer. If it's kind of like a little of everything. No, it's but, legit. It's yeah. legit. Um, how does being a Christian change the way you interact with your employees? I love that. Super tactical, super practical. Um, well, I think you just, you know, for me, it's like I, I try to treat them how I'd want to be treated. And um, the, the hard part is, isn't, how you treat them it's what happens when they mess up and you have mm. to talk about firing them right, right. that's where it kind of gets tough yeah you know? but i think uh you, you just try to encourage them instead of demand stuff from them yeah you know yep um let's see that's it from them so i got i got one we kind of talked about a little bit though i didn't want your answer at the time um have you ever been asked to choose business over your faith if so, how and what happened? Um, no, I've never been in, in a position to have to choose. Uh, there was an instance where uh, I was faced with a decision that 
So, <laughs> so I invested into this company. It's, I wasn't running the company; it was just a, an investment into a, a management management company for athletes. This was about six years ago, or something like that, and it failed. Mm. And but we decided they decided to stop it before all the money was uh, gone. Right, <laughs> right. And I invested with one of my friends, and he was a lot more successful than I was. He had a lot more money than I did at that time. And I remember one of the guys running, it was like, hey, look, we have extra money. I know you'll, you, you'll need it. Like, you could use it more than he could. Like, do you just want it? I remember thinking, I was like, and, and, and not tell him, basically. Right. You know? And I was like, no. You, you've got to split up evenly. And I remember that was kind of the one thing so I was like, put in a position where I was like, yeah, that would be so easy to take right. money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Uh, but yeah, I've never had anyone call me and ask that. But that's <laughs> <laughs> I'd like with... to say I would do exactly what yeah. you did. Absolutely. Uh, do you plan to stay in California, even though its climate is not conducive for business and business owners? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic question. Don't make um, Rob mad. <laughs> yeah. y- y- see, for me, for the brands that we do. Uh, we really use who we are and, and kind of the California lifestyle to yeah. promote these brands, right? And there's something about selling a, a, a image or likeness and not being a part of it that kind of feels right. fake, even though it's so hard to have a business here. Um, so I don't. I, I think for now I'll stay here, yeah. Unless it has, you know, unless it has nothing to do with marketing and we're like, you know, right. selling steel or something. But, <laughs> You know, I think for me, it's probably always going to be marketing. Right, so I right. might be here. Yeah. He's Unless it just becomes impossible. I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard. California is hard for business. Yep. It really is. Um, but I, don't know, I love it here. Yeah. You know. And you skate year round, you know? You so. do every, yeah, totally. Every 10 years, we get like two weeks of rain or something. Yeah. That's about it. But. Except for this year. <clears throat> Um, how is how has business stretched your faith? I know we've kind of weaved on this a little bit, but how is it? How has business itself stretched your faith, and or how has faith kind of stretched your perspective on business? Um, I think I think for me it's. We'll end on this one. So okay, <laughs> so make it good. Um, People are peace out. See you guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go. Yet. Uh, I think for me it was like. You know, it, it, even last week, what you, what you touched on is on, you know, no one pays attention to you unless you're doing a really good job, mm-hmm. right? Unless you're the best at what you're doing, people don't pay attention to you. So you're really kind of missing opportunity to uh, bring up faith or, you know, kind of uh, start any type of conversation to try and save people. And I, I, it's weird. I, I never – I always tried to be the best. But I never knew why. I just, like, kind of always mm-hmm. had this desire to just, like, succeed. I just always wanted to, to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. I mean, this was last week. But after last week, it kind of already gave me a totally different uh, perception on why I uh, want to succeed, you know. Cool. So that was a week ago. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. Sorry for all the yelling uh, last week. But, you know. but yeah, I, mean, I think, too, it's, like, for, for me, it, it was – you know, I've always, I mean, it was really because of my parents, but I always tithe. It was always, mm-hmm. you know, seeing my dad tithe and me tithing. And, you know, when you sell a big company, you get a big amount of money. Right. 
you now have a it's a different that, type of that ten percent's a big right? number. <laughs> but I think for me it was like, you know, I already had been doing that for so long it wasn't hard for me. Cool. And then seeing, you know, the ways that affected people and kind of how it helped and it, it gave me this new desire to accomplish things to kind of help people and you know kind of give. Wow. So that's salt and salt and light, yeah. So Mikey Taylor. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming.